0: you know we tell ourselves oh i'm in love this is why i'm excusing the red flag because why because love is blind love is the furthest thing from blind love will make you see things that would otherwise blind you what blinds us is undealt with trauma focus, focus, focus. I I born in 92 on the block with the sharks come from a different
1: cloth y'all would get ripped apart you wanna Like Carmelo with the Rucka Park Now we eating
0: from state to state We scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket Took a leap of faith I took a chance Now we grow and see the impact Decoding
1: success with special guests Now let's bring MASH Welcome to the show, everyone. Episode number 229 here on the Decoding Success Podcast. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, and you just got a quick little glimpse, a quick little snippet of the very powerful conversation and the powerful individual that I'm going to be introducing to you in just a few moments now. With that being said, this powerful conversation we're diving into today, you are listening to it for a reason. Whether this is your first time tuning into the show, or you've been rocking with us for months, maybe years, or maybe a couple weeks, whatever it is, whatever position you are in, you are listening to this episode for a reason. There is something in this episode that you need to hear, and now with that being said... There may be someone in your life that may not have access to the show because they haven't heard of it, because you haven't shared it with them yet. So what I'm going to urge you to do, regardless of this being your first time or your millionth time listening to this episode, I am going to urge you to share these very, very powerful words that are about to be spoken on this episode here today. Again, I am going to urge you to do that. You don't have to do that. This show is totally free, but I'm going to urge you to either share it in a text message talk about it on your lunch break with a friend text it in your group chat share it on your instagram story tweet about it whatever you choose to do the ball is in your court to make an impact in someone's life the way our guest natasha adamo is doing here today now natasha is a best-selling author motivational speaker and a relationship self-help and high performance coach with clients in over 30 countries across the globe she has dedicated her life to giving what she wished she had to helping people feel less alone and getting them out of pain, suffering, and self-sabotage, those really low vibe states. Now today, she is joining us to share her wisdom, her insights, and most importantly, her life experiences, and so much more to bring a sense of feeling seen and heard, to help you feel like you're not alone in this world, if you feel like you're in a rut, if you're in a you know down place. She is going to help us navigate the relationship space. And in the process of this all, we are going to have a good time. So once again, thank you for joining us. Really grateful for each and every one of you that is tuned into the show. And without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Natasha Adamo. Natasha, welcome to Decoding Success. Really excited to have you amplify your message, your work, so on and so forth. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I actually just looked down at my notes. I need to say congratulations. Uh, You just brought new life into the world, which is such a beautiful thing. So I want to make sure I'm saying that. It would be rude if I didn't.
0: Thank you so much. I just had a baby a few days ago, which is kind of why I'm in my sweats. But (laughs) even without the baby, I've always been like that when I'm not working. But thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the congratulations.
1: What has that process taught you? Let's start there. I mean, entering motherhood is probably pretty intense in some ways.
0: I think it would have been a lot more intense if I didn't have so much else going on, if that makes sense. And in a way it helped me because it helped me throughout pregnancy, you know, with travel, work, clients, all of that. It helped me really balance everything. Everyone's journey is super different. I just tried to not let other stories or advice permeate to the point of paralysis, because then, you know, it wouldn't have been good. You hear so many different opinions and different things from every kind of side. But ultimately, just like with life, just like in your professional life, your personal life, the journey is yours and yours alone and is unique to you.
1: Love that. Now, I'm curious to learn what it was in your life that brought you down the line of work in which you pursued, right? You just put out a book on relationships. You had an incredible blog, you do absolutely amazing work in the relationship space, but what was it in your life that made you feel compelled to pursue that?
0: I got to a point in my life where I realized that I didn't have it all figured out, which I think that a, lot, a huge mistake a lot of people make in our line of work is they present themselves with certainty, which I think is so important. Certainty is extremely important, but to the point that they are pedestal to kingdom come So that, you know, when their mistakes happen, which they inevitably do because we're all human, the followers that they have incurred along the way hold them to a standard that is really impossible, you know. So for me, it was all about, okay. I I haven't I I don't have this all figured out every day. I just try to be a better person when I wake up. That's that's all I try to do. But I had found that I stopped repeating patterns that were robbing me of a life that I claimed to want. I found that I stopped trying to look for the outside world to see in me what I couldn't see in me. And life as a result got infinitely more peaceful. It got better and I wanted to share it. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes, I'm not sure who says this, but you don't need to be completely healed to help others, but by helping others, you will heal completely. I think that's probably the... the basis of the Alcoholics Anonymous, which is super obviously successful, you know, you have a sponsor and with sponsorship, that's that's how you stay sober, you know, in a lot of ways. It's a big part of it. And so I just sought out to give everything that I wish I had at my most lonely, confused, depressed, suicidal states. And I couldn't find other than, oh, my gosh, this article is going to answer everything come to find. It's just really a clickbait title.
1: Mm. This makes sense. I'm curious, what were those patterns that you wanted to get out of?
0: I mean, self-sabotage really. And I couldn't make the connection of why I was doing it until my life required me to stop everything. I had a huge health scare years ago. I've never had a problem with alcohol. I've never, you know, so it's, I want to be really clear because, you know, it's ever. like I said, everyone's journey is different, but I had a huge health scare, which required me to put my immune system first. I put down the cigarettes. I put down the alcohol. I was never a drug user. And I had to focus on myself. And I had to understand that my my body was trying to tell me something because my emotional body was in more distress than the physical body. It's the physical body that followed the emotions.
1: Absolutely. Was the self-sabotage popping up in relationships? Was it popping up in finances or just across the board?
0: Across the board, I was completely broke. I mean, uh, about five and a half years ago, I was Uber driving, and okay. you know, I had found that I was really broke. I, I mismanaged my money. It was doing everything to just kind of keep up and keep the charade going. My now fiance didn't even know how broke I was. I was I was really really broke, and you know, I went to an incredible college. I have every reason to to not be broke, but I'm not one of those. People that's just going to lie flat on their back. I definitely have been that person. But so I started Uber driving and I, I didn't, I lied to everyone. I didn't tell them how broke I was. Relationships, friendships, especially, you know, I have been an incredibly selfish. I've been an incredibly toxic person to really good people. And I've tried so hard to be good enough for people who were just as, just as at odds with themselves as I was.
1: Now, when it comes to being broke, I'm just curious, why didn't you want anyone to know? Was it a fear of judgment or was there something more to it?
0: I was ashamed. You know, I, I was ashamed. I grew up with parents who, you know, English is not the language that was primarily spoken at home. And my parents, my grandparents sacrificed so much and just to come to this beautiful country and experience the freedoms that we have. And I think with a lot of people who have immigrant parents, grandparents, you know, you're held to a standard of perfection. You're primed to perform. And this is in no way saying that I'm a victim whatsoever, but I was primed to make sure that I portrayed an image of excellence at all times. And so I had a lot of shame and shame was the filter that I used to make poor decisions through, whether that be financial, professional, relational.
1: What was the process like? And it was really interesting. You mentioned that you wanted people on the outside to see something on the inside of you that you didn't see yourself. Right. I I really like that. I'm just curious, what did the process look like of you discovering your your specialty on the inside of you?
0: Well, the process came from doing little things and following through with promises that I made to myself. You know, okay, I have a health scare. I'm going to put down the cigarettes. I'm going to put down the alcohol. I mastered that. I, you know, got healthier. That made me feel better. When you have little goals and you see them through, that's how you build self-respect because you're showing yourself, I can maintain this promise to you and see it through. So that's what really got me kind of going. And it can be the littlest thing. It can be like, you know, I'm going to wake up half an hour earlier every day. It can be anything but if you really see it through and prove to yourself hey i can do this what's going to happen is you're going to become more protective of your progress than you are interested in you know itching the mosquito bite of your triggers
1: absolutely now i want to backtrack a little bit you mentioned that you started to pursue this work because you didn't have everything all figured out do we ever
0: no we never have everything all figured out and i think i stopped at an awkward place i decided to pursue this work because although i did not have everything figured out that was a pretty monumental thing to realize. It takes self-awareness to realize, okay, I don't know it all. Number one. So the self-awareness is what propelled me into a place of just knowing who I am as imperfect and fallible as I will always be, rather than narcissistic, you know, gains or I want to be somebody, I want to be seen. I just wanted to share information that had worked for me. And I also wanted to almost like run an experiment to see if I was as alone in super embarrassing and shameful relational experiences, emotions, you name it, as alone as I felt. So I started a blog basically to give everything that I wish I would have had and that I had learned from at my lowliest, lowest points in regard to relationship self-help.
1: And I'm sure through that process, you realized that you weren't alone because a lot of people have that wounded inner child where shame stems from, right? I'm, I'm just making that assumption.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not alone. It doesn't matter what state the economy is in. It doesn't matter what is going on in the world until the end of time. People will invest in relational Ponzi schemes. They will encounter toxic people. And what that can do is it can set off an internalization and I think a very unfair self-assessment that doesn't need to happen all because of undealt with trauma. You know, we tell ourselves, Oh, I'm in love. This is why I'm excusing the red flags. Because why? Because love is blind. Love is the furthest thing from blind. Love will make you see things that would otherwise blind you. What blinds us is undealt with trauma. And, you know, I make it very clear in everything I do. I don't say this in a braggadocious way. In fact, I would love to have a degree in psychology. I didn't end up doing that because I hate math and didn't want to take statistics. You know, I have a degree in English and philosophy. I am in no way credentialed, certified, licensed, or schooled. My education has come from my own life experience is not a formal classroom. However, you know, I'm so honored to work with so many people from the professional community. And truly what I write about, it doesn't discriminate age, gender, orientation, stage in life, you name it. So the blog that I started was aesthetically geared toward women, you know, in romantic relationships. However, I was getting so many people from all around the world of every you know every kind of base you could possibly hit and i realized it really is just different dynamics and body parts it's the same pain it's the same bullshit that we encounter
1: why do relationships bring out or reveal to us like some really deep shit
0: because they're they're mirrors you know a lot of the time we attract what we exude and you could say well natasha you know i attracted a heroin addict i'm not addicted to heroin okay well i guarantee you you are addicted to negative self-limiting beliefs and subscribing to those beliefs. I guarantee there's an addiction somewhere. You know, I used to think, okay, I know I'm not narcissistic, which, you know, I know I'm not selfish, but I keep attracting really selfish people who make it all about them consistently, right? And then I thought about it and, okay, like Attracts like ultimately. And sometimes it takes a lot of investigation. And I understand that's a pretty kind of polarizing thing to say, especially right now where everyone picks everything apart and they're so offended by everything. Absolutely not. You know, I was attracted to people who made everything all about them. And then what I would subsequently do is make their selfish behavior all about how I was somehow not enough. And if you think about it, however you slice it, however you dice it, that was still making it all about me, just in a reverse kind of way. So, you know, I was making other people's behavior about how I needed to just basically have a personality transplant or change myself physically or whatever it may be. You know, it was activating every little insecurity that I had.
1: How do we identify those patterns? It's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, especially when we're in the moment when things are happening. Maybe like, yeah, sure. You look back on it and, you know, it might reveal more to you. But like in the moment, how do you realize the patterns regarding the people that we're attracting in our lives?
0: Well, I mean, everyone's life speaks for itself. You know what I mean? It just takes it just takes the courage to look at the bigger picture and say, okay, am I happy? Okay, everything that I'm feeling and experiencing is a result of what I have chosen with my free will to tolerate. Everything that I'm experiencing and feeling is a result of decisions that I have chosen to make. You know, my mother was going through cancer a few years ago and had to have surgery. I got so worked up in the hospital, I passed out and I'm on a stretcher. You know, I can't, I can't control the fact that her cancer made me upset, but, you know, I made a decision to allow those emotions to exacerbate to the point that I passed out. Mm -hmm. And I can take responsibility for that. And not in like, This annoying kind of, you know, I'm going to take responsibility kind of way and, you know, have an accountability list or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just don't work really well with that. I don't like to reduce myself to psychological infancy and have checklists for myself. And that almost can drive me a little bit more crazy, but I know it works with a lot of people. And I, you know, there's a lot of things I do that personally I think would horrify other people. um, And it wouldn't work for them. But for me, it was really just about taking responsibility. And when I did that, it's like, Oh my gosh! I could exhale. I was free, you know?
1: yeah, absolutely. Now, how do we identify if a person is toxic? And maybe I'm asking that question more so in like a dating phase more than anything, but is there any way, and I say this because, you know, obviously when you get closer to a person, their true colors start to come out. But when you get closer to a person, you might already be too far in. So I'm curious, like how do we identify if a person's toxic or not?
0: Well, my definition, my personal definition of toxic people is anyone who gets validation by exploiting your hunger for theirs, number one. Okay. So anyone who feels validated by seeing that you have a soft spot in, you know, needing their validation for emotional oxygen and they exploit it. Okay, number one. Number two, you said something very interesting about, you know, it's so hard in the moment and we we see someone in the beginning and, you know, we want to see what we saw in the beginning and all of that. Toxic people have an uncanny ability to be everything that you want in the very beginning and then they change and they reveal who they truly are. But because we hang on to that hologram of who they initially presented themselves to be, we think that we are at fault for someone completely unraveling. So the problem is that I would do, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I would feel so powerless, like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm getting ghosted. They're not calling back. They're not respecting me. So I felt very powerless. Yet I duly took on a belief of such power that my perceived lack of value could get a perfect prince that, you know, this person was in the beginning to deteriorate into sociopathy and narcissism, which is just not, you can't have it both ways. Contradiction is the root of all misery. You can't think Mm -hmm. you're that, you know, insanely powerful yet operate on a level of such disempowering powerlessness.
1: See, the tricky part about this is this is going to get interesting Mm -hmm. when someone so whatever someone's dating, two people are dating and they're both really into each other. And then, you know, that one person starts to make those shifts into, you know, you start seeing some toxic traits and whatever else is happening. The other person that's experiencing the person being toxic toward them can really get caught up in that potential, though. Right. Because they showed you a glimpse of who they could be. How do you not get caught up in the potential?
0: Okay, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You know, uh, think of Bernie Madoff. He was a potential curator, okay? There's, you know, riches here. I mean, he wouldn't have had some of the smartest people in the world invest with him if he wasn't so good at manufacturing potential. But it got to a point where people realized they weren't getting an ROI. You know, I can go to the mall and go to Cartier and see, the uh, necklace that I want and see the potential in me having that necklace. Wow, I'm going to feel really great with the Panther necklace on my neck. I'm going to look so great. I want it. But what stops me from robbing the store? What stops me from stealing it is I do cost assessment. I can't afford the cost of stealing something or else I'd steal it. So we, we do, we have to do cost assessment. Unfortunately, we don't do it with our emotions. And I tell clients all the time, you, you know, you have absolutely no business tweeting about, posting about how we all need to take care of our health and wear masks and do all this stuff if you're not going to be just as conscientious with your mental health. You that know? makes
1: sense. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's just, it's not going to work. You can't take such, I mean, I'm a living example, but you can't take such diligent care of your physical body and let your mental health deteriorate because ultimately dis-ease will reflect in your body.
1: For sure. What does the process of doing a cost assessment of your emotions in a situation where you're measuring ROI and all of that stuff, what does that look like?
0: You know, I get really irritated when people in our field break down very simple things into a process because, and I, I don't know if you're the same as me, but I, I'm like a magnet with stuff like, okay, what's the process? How do I do this? Because what it does is it creates this very subtle level of complication that's just enough for us to get emotionally exhausted so we don't execute. All right. I don't really have a process when I go to the mall and say, okay, I'm not going to steal this. I just don't fucking do it. You know, I don't do it because I know the, I'm more scared of the consequences than I am of acting upon a desire. And so instead of a process, which I love the question, but I don't have one because the answer is it really is that simple. Follow through with commitments that you make to yourself. And through that, you won't have to think about it because when you build self-esteem and confidence, a symptom of that is just acting on knowing what you can and cannot afford emotionally.
1: So I'm going to use the example you gave in regards to the necklace, right? You're not going to go to the mall, walk in the store and steal that, but you were probably taught that stealing is bad at some point in your life. Now, other people, going back to the relationship side of it, maybe those people aren't taught that what they're receiving from that toxic person is bad. Like maybe they identify that as good or there's an attachment to it.
0: hundred percent. I love the question. The thing is, is that if you're not taught that it's bad, you will keep encountering the same lesson. And, you know, whether or not you say, okay, you know, this is terrible for me. I need to get away from it. Or, oh my God, I love the abuse. Or, you know, I love the chaos. I don't think anyone loves abuse, but chaos for sure. Romantic love, hot, cold, up, down, yes, no, Jekyll Hyde kind of roller coaster type love. Ultimately, you need to look at how you feel. You need to look at how you feel, not you know, all the little minutiae, but how do I feel on a day-to-day basis? If I'm unhappy, I got to investigate what's going on. And if I keep finger pointing at everything external and refuse to look in the mirror, uh, we'll see how well that works out. You know, if, if I feel more unhappy as a result, I'm going to have to get to the point where I self-reflect. And for a lot of people, that point, myself included, does not happen until tragedy. You know, a parent gets cancer. You get diagnosed with something you get. And I just don't want what happened to me have to happen to other people. It took my mom getting cancer. It took me getting a health scare. It took, you know, me working so hard throughout school to attain a level of success that I believed I would get, you know, through very hard work in school and all of that. And then Uber driving years later after I graduated college, you know, it took all that for me to really look in the mirror and have the courage to say, okay, I got to look in the mirror, but with compassion, not with this like emotional drill sergeant nastiness. You know, I, I don't, I don't talk to myself in a nasty way. I'm very honest. I'm not delusional, but I'm kind in my honesty. I'm not brutal.
1: Right. What if someone tries to start changing that toxic person though, right? Because I I feel like that's a next step and I've definitely tried to do that, right? You know, you realize that what you are experiencing is, all right, cool. Maybe not the best thing in the world. And then all of a sudden you start trying to change the person. What's your advice for those types of people?
0: You know, the thing is you can't change other people. And if, if you have, like I have, like you have, if you have a habit of wanting to change other people, it's because you're refusing to change the parts of you that need to change so that you aren't attracted to what is unhealthy for you, what is hurting. And why would you want to take credit for changing someone? I mean, I I don't, you know, I used to think that that would be so cool until I realized how incredible it is to take credit for changing your own life and turning it around. And another thing I think is, I don't know if you've experienced this, but It makes it so hard to leave a relationship because you fear that they will change. You fear that if you don't, if you give up on them, quote unquote, they're going to be a better person in an infinitely more healthy and incredible relationship. And you're going to be left in the dust. And no one wants to be a launching pad. That I know. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're toxic. I don't care if you're mentally healthy, whatever. No one wants to be some launching pad for someone to launch into an incredible life because they were exposed to their dysfunction. And so getting back to changing people, you know, the worry of will, will this person change, will my ex change goes away? When you actually have the courage to look in the mirror, make changes in your own life, because then you realize just how much discipline, time, dedication it actually takes to make profound and everlasting change. When you realize that, you won't give a shit about, you know, will they change? Will they not? Because you know what it takes.
1: Right. There's actually that movie. It's the name is somewhere. I don't even know the name. But uh, the guy in the movie, he dates whoever and the next person, the person that he was dating next ends up getting married.
0: Oh, I think it's good luck, Chuck. Oh, is it good luck, Chuck? I, I was going to say that. I think, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That that literally came to mind when you were saying that, because it's true. I mean, you don't want to just date someone and then, you know, see them engaged in their next relationship. Like that fucking sucks.
0: <laughs> no, and, you know, so many people ask, how can I get revenge? Because when you're involved with someone who hurt you and took you for granted and used you and manipulated you ultimately, you're going to feel spiteful feelings. And we live in a time where I think that that is frowned upon. I think, you know, it's more geared toward let's kumbaya it out. I have a colleague who I love so much, and he's the first person to say, you know, wish your ex well, send them peace, move on. And I'm just like, No, I mean, that just doesn't work for me. It actually makes me feel much worse because I can't do that. So why would I try to force the square peg in the round hole and then beat myself up for the fact that it doesn't fit? You know? It's it's a human nature to feel spiteful feelings after you realize you have been shortchanged and you've been taken advantage of. I always get revenge. I always get even, always. But not necessarily in, you know, this cutthroat, art of war, Machiavellian way, more in a dignified Machiavellian way, because I define revenge just like I define forgiveness in a very unique way and different way. For me, revenge is looking back at the basically everything someone has proven that they are incapable of being, whether that's respectful to me, whatever that may be in a non-victim kind of way, just looking at, okay, what have they done? What have they proven they can never be? And then becoming all of those things. That is how you be the one. That's how you become the one that got away. That's how you make your pain, stress, that's how you make, you know, other people launching pads. And if you look at bu- from a business standpoint, because I know you're really in that world as well, the people who are the most successful are the ones who do not care what other people think, number one, and that can spin stress, pain, anxiety, and embarrassment into gold because they take assessments of what the situation or the person that caused them pain lacks and they become that.
1: I'm curious. And I agree in regards to everything pertaining to what you're saying here. Um, I want to talk about those spiteful feelings because I've definitely had them. Yeah. How do you let go of them? Right. Like, I I think it's really great to acknowledge them. and, And, you know, you might be angry. You might be sad, whatever it is. Right. Like, that's great. But carrying them with you for a long time could actually cause harm physically, emotionally and So on. So like, how do you release that?
0: hundred percent. You don't want that in you. That's why I'm saying if you take, I'll show them and use that gasoline to put in your emotional gas tank instead of drinking the gas and then crying and being a victim for the fact that you're sick because you drank gasoline, you know, spiteful feelings are an incredible, they got a lot of firepower. Um, It's an incredible tailwind. Most people just use it as a headwind. They what is I think it was Oprah that said, you know, they pointed the other per- person and say die while they drink the poison. That's what a spiteful feeling will do if you if you mismanage it and you allow it to employ you, you become its bend over employee. If you say, no, I'm going to reclaim the position of CEO that I am of myself, of my entity. I'm going to employ these feelings. I'm going to have them work for me. That's when you can actually use it as fuel and you can take a look back at yourself and say, "Okay, I'm going to use the dysfunction and the pain and everything that this person or this experience or circumstance caused. And I'm going to use it to help propel me out of my own and to help propel me out of, you know, my my own um, habits, my own, because, you know, there has to be something going on with me that would even put up with this to the extent that I have. And so you give that back to yourself, if that makes sense.
1: It does. I love that. I love that. I want to talk about your new book, When Your Breakup, How to Be the One That Got Away. And I bring it up because you brought up the subtitle. I'm curious to learn, why did you write this book at this point in your journey? Like what came over you and said, all right, cool. Like this is the time to write this.
0: You know, I got back in touch with a dear friend, Greg Barrett, who has sold millions of books. He wrote, He's Just Not That Into You. That's what he's probably the most well-known for. And we had met each other years prior, almost a decade prior. And we got back in touch when I found out he had cancer. And I was just telling him how much he meant to me. He changed the whole course of my life just by being kind and to a stranger. And I We started talking and talking and, you know, doing this and that. And I said, you know, I've got this idea for a book, but it's nothing like the books you've written. It's nothing like the books I've seen. And I know everyone can say that about something they're creating, you know, whether it's a baby or it's a book or something, you know, this is revolutionary. But I really didn't mean it in the sense that in the breakup world, a lot of it gets reduced to, I mean, even if you look at Greg's Incredible book. It's called The Breakup because it's broken. The cover of that book, which I love, is an ice cream carton. You know, we think empty ice cream carton, mascara running down, not, you know, being lethargic, not being able to get up off the couch. And I never saw anything that was super sharp. I have read, I'm not, you know, I don't read too much of people in, in our line of work, but I have read some books that have really changed the course of the way I problem solve and think. And a lot of the stuff that resonated with me were little excerpts from experts, but the the material as a whole was a little bit too cutthroat. It was a little bit too, okay, if I take this all the way, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have any friends left. I don't know, you know. And I realized that because I've got clients telephonically in 34 countries around the world, I realized that people who were in relationships with toxic people Wanted to know how to win. And I thought, okay, how can I, how can I do this? And I, I bounced it off of Greg and he said, you gotta just write your book, write it. And that process was, is a whole nother podcast discussion. He's the only editor on my book. He, he's amazing. However, I realized that if, Something, if someone is saying, I want to win my breakup, it's because ga- their relationship has been reduced to a game that they feel like they need to almost win in order to emotionally survive and move on. That reduction can only take place if you're involved with someone who's toxic. If you're involved with someone who's mentally healthy and has self-awareness and, you know, they're not empathetically bankrupt or emotionally unavailable, yes, it's going to hurt. But there's not going to be this level of paralyzing ambiguity or feeling like I got to show them. If they're toxic, that's a different story. So, I wanted to write kind of like a dignified Machiavellian playbook on how to drop the mic on shitty people and win without reducing anything to a game, without having to, you know, embarrass yourself into carrot dangling tacticianism. I see a lot in my field of relationships, dating, and by stuff like that. It's like all of these tactics, it's like, don't play games but here's a game to play, you know, <laughs> like, don't, you know, be dramatic, but let's create some drama. And I'm not about that. You know, I, I there's some incredible relationship books that I've read, but when I take a second look at them, I'm just like, wow. So they're, they're basically wanting you to withhold your own abundance. So you can attract emotional abundance in someone who is emotionally disconnected and reluctant to commit. I mean, why would you want to do that? And so that's where I got the idea. And I told Greg, I said, you know, I think it's a little too sharp. I think. And he said, no, keep going with it. I like this. This is new. This is different. So that's how I came up with it. And it is written in the context of a romantic relationship from the perspective of a straight female, because that's what I am. However, like I said, it can be applied to any orientation, gender, age, stage in life. But more importantly, and Greg, after he read this, really wanted me to say in every interview I do and every promotion I do, it's about winning your breakup. It can be with anything, with a toxic family member, with you know a co-worker, with a toxic classmate or coach. Also, winning your breakup with the critical audience in your own head that propels self-sabotage. Winning your breakup with substance abuse, winning your breakup with, you know, negative thought patterns and processes. It teaches you how to come away a winner. And really winning is part of winning is the realization that you basically lost the presence of someone who was making your life toxic, who was making you question your value. When you go to the bathroom, you know, you don't, think, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to lose what I flush in the toilet. There's no losses in that situation. You win a clean toilet. So this book is basically teaching you how to flush your relational toilet.
1: I love that. Now, if someone does give into the games and the carrot dangling and like those tactics after a breakup with a toxic person, wouldn't that make them toxic as well?
0: Well, it would make them, yeah, toxic to themselves and toxic yeah. to the other person. I mean, it's just and everyone's just bouncing off one another. And, you know, a lot of people, for instance, go into no contact doing it so that it triggers their ex, their ex's abandonment issues or it triggers their ex into contacting them when really no contact is about, hey, I've had enough. And as hard as this is, as gut wrenching as it is, I need to do this for me. Um, so you could be in no contact for many years as I have been with people who have hurt me. But if I haven't moved on to a place of, okay, initially I am doing it for a reaction from the other person. But if I haven't organically moved to a place or very, you know, intentionally moved to a place of, all right, I'm doing this for me. And I'm every minute that goes by is a minute that I have fought for my peace and I have won and empowering myself, then even, you know, eight years later, I'm going to be in the same boat that I was in the beginning.
1: So the basis of winning is really putting yourself first.
0: hundred percent. It's putting yourself first. And it's also, you know, everyone wants to be that ex that their exes talk about, oh, I, I dated that person and no one believes them. You know, no one believes them because their life speaks for themselves and you have gone to such heights in your own life and that doesn't mean fame that doesn't mean you know Instagram popularity that you that's that definition is a definition of substance not superficiality but um it's unbelievable how much of a propellant that pain can really be and toxic people can be so absolutely um, yeah.
1: Now, if someone picks up this book that's listening right now, but they could only take one thing away from it, what would you want that one thing to be?
0: From that they could take away from the reading?
1: Yeah, from the book. If they could only take away one thing, I'm sure there's plenty of takeaways, but like for you, like if there was one thing that they could take away, what would you want it to be?
0: That's an interesting question. You can never go wrong with putting your younger self first.
1: Your and younger I, self?
0: Yes. And I have a whole no. chapter on this. You know, There's so many seminars and courses and all kinds of things on the importance of boundaries, on the importance of self-love and self-esteem. And they turn this into like, okay, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And again, chaos, complication. Where there's complication, there's a very easy option to have a license renewal on inactivity. And then you keep yourself in a mediocrity chokehold, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you just post inspirational stuff online and try to be um, everything you Want to be, but can't execute in your real life because social media is not real. I have tried to like and love the adult that I am. I've tried. It's very hard for me to look in the mirror and say, Natasha, you are love. You are light. You are beautiful. You're the. It's it's very hard. I absolutely love Louise Hay. I love her affirmations. Some of them are very hard for me. I have really, you know, we we have these deep ingrained. Uh, paths, in our neuropathways, in our brains of what we think we are, you know, this, that. And one of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And George Bailey is on the bridge about to kill himself, right? And the only thing that saves him is Clarence, his guardian angel coming into human form and drowning in the river George wants to kill himself in because he knows right away it'll take George out of his desire to commit suicide and because he wants to save someone. So when we find that we are in a breakup with a toxic person, we can feel physically suicidal. We can feel emotionally suicidal. Obviously, always go get professional help if that's you know where you're at. However, it's because and I've had the pleasure of working with many people who are suicidal. I've never lost anybody. And they are in a level of self-obsession that they cannot get out. And it's not like, oh, I'm so great self-obsession. It's, oh, I'm not enough. I'm better off gone. And I have been there. I guarantee you have been there because you couldn't help people on the level that you do, Matt, and not know pain and not know loneliness. You just couldn't. You couldn't have accomplished anything you have in your life if you hadn't. The only thing I don't know about you but the only thing when I have been there after breakups or whatever it may be family members, ex'es, you name it, friends the only thing that would get me a out of it is if someone was proverbially drowning in the river, if an animal, an elderly person I don't know if that's politically correct but you know, a senior citizen or a, a child was in pain and suffering. That's the only thing that would really take me out of it. Why those three categories? Because those three groups cannot advocate for themselves. They are voiceless. They are defenseless and undefended. And I can relate on such a level because that's how I feel being at the end of my emotional rope so I can save them. So my best advice, and I have a whole chapter on this in the book, don't try to like and love the adult that you are. This relationship you've been through has put you through enough you don't feel good about yourself. The more you try, oh, I'm so great. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I can do this. I got this. The shittier you're going to feel right now. Right now, there is someone drowning in the river who doesn't have a voice. At least Clarence in the movie had a, a voice that needs you, that has nobody. That person is your younger self. Get your phone out. Take a photo of yourself. Take a photo of a photograph of yourself as a younger child. Make that photo the screensaver and the wallpaper on your phone. And every time you look at your phone, tell that child, you are unfuckwithable. No one will mess with you today. I got you. We're going to get out of the river. The more you focus on that child, the more you won't have to take a seminar on how to implement a boundary boundaries are a recognition of value. That's all they are. And you could say, well, you know, I, I need to know how to speak up. No, you don't. You have recognized your value. If you're listening to the show right now, you have recognized your value today. You've gotten up out of bed. You've most likely brushed your teeth. You've most likely, you know, taken a hairbrush to your hair or whatever it may be, wash your face, taking a shower, and you're still listening to this program. All those things, as minuscule as they may seem to you in the moment, because as the as a listener, you may be in pain, you have recognized your value. Standards are the criteria that need to be met in order for that recognized value to be accessed. So you don't need a course or a seminar on boundaries. What you need is to stop trying to jump out onto the uh, into the river. You need to stop trying to commit emotional suicide through self-sabotage and internalizing the shitty behavior from terrible people. And you need to save that little one that's in the river. By doing so, boundaries will not be something you have to think about because they're a symptom of when you are in preservation mode, when you are prioritizing your peace that's what boundaries are just like a you know a symptom of a cold is a cough and fever and when you do that a beautiful thing happens you are no longer executing a boundary where you're too passive or you're too aggressive which i see more than i see too passive or if you get it just right i don't know if you've ever felt this way but you feel an immense amount of guilt because you're a people pleaser when it's not about you and it's about a voiceless little animal or a child or an elderly person and advocating for them, you don't, you're, you're very dignified in the way you stick up for them. So my best advice and what I put in the book is stop trying to do it. Stop trying to love yourself into this, you know, I, I've i got this, I'm going to get over the breakup. Of this Self-love will come when you can give the love you wish your ex gave to you to a helpless and voiceless and defenseless being. And a beautiful thing happens when you do this, When you start giving, because I can't tell the listener right now, you can't tell the listener exactly what they needed as a child and did not have. No one had the perfect parent and no one will be the perfect parent. You know, my parents did the absolute best they could. Did they make mistakes? Of course. Well, I make mistakes, of course. But only I know exactly what I needed and didn't have. And that's very empowering because you no longer look to all these different TED Talks and all these things that are going on. You look to yourself. You are your own healer. You're your own savior, your own own advocate, your own hero. That's an amazing thing. And so you do that. You'll start to actually respect the adult that's taking care of that kid. And when you respect that adult, you're not going to put up with bullshit. You're not going to put up with all the stuff from someone who, you know, can't even love themselves. So they had to make you feel the way they feel 24-7. Their karma is your self-love. Their karma is you not turning your back to that little child and actually picking that kid's side of the street instead of theirs.
1: Absolutely. I love this. I'm actually in the process of reading a book right now all about inner child work called Homecoming by John Bradshaw. Have you read that?
0: I'm not familiar with it.
1: It's it's really powerful. It is a really powerful book. It comes to mind because of what we're talking about, but I love that. Super powerful stuff. I'm going to make sure that in the show notes, people could find a link to the book amongst your socials and websites and all of that other stuff. I have two more questions for you, though. One being if... I mean, I'm sure you're hopping on podcasts, doing a lot of this, promoting the book, and you, know, you talked about all the clients you have. I'm sure you get a lot of questions, but what's a question you wish more people would ask you?
0: How do I not make other people's behavior about me instead of what did I do to make them behave this way?
1: And what's the response?
0: To how do I make it not about you? Yeah. My response is always this, you know, I have been an incredibly selfish, I've been an incredibly toxic person in my life. And I'm always very careful when I share things like this because I think James Altucher talks about, oh, I I don't know how he says it. It's kind of this victim porn, you know, or you share a sad story about yourself and you get all this attention, you know, and so you get addicted to it. This is not the case in that. I'm just being very honest. I um, hated who I was and I was really terrible to really good people. I've done things that I'm so ashamed of in my life. And I've looked for validation from those who couldn't even validate themselves while really being terrible to those who just loved me for me. I felt like if I didn't have to work for work for it, it wasn't valuable. I felt like if it wasn't in limited supply, it wasn't valuable. And that may be true for a Rolls Royce, it may be true for certain things, but it's not true for things like honesty and integrity and stuff like that. So, you know, when I was really toxic, when I was not self-aware, I wouldn't say, okay, I'm not going to give Matt a call back. He's only worth a text message. I wouldn't act the way that I did to educate really good people on their lack of worth. I acted the way I did because I chose what the easiest route for me was because I was a selfish and toxic asshole. That's why, you know, and um, I feel bad for that person. But I'm so glad that I inhabited that space because I wouldn't know. And I wouldn't have the level of certainty that I have right now that what people do is not about you. You know, one of my dearest friends, Cato Kalin. I think we're both old enough to remember the O.J. Simpson trial, correct? And I know O.J. was, I believe, found guilty in civil court. Okay, so I can say this, but I'm going to use a very extreme example here. You know, no one would ever say, "Oh, such and so made this person jealous." And that's why this unstinkable heinous crime was committed. Because you know you can provide lubricant for someone to behave a certain way, of course. But ultimately, the way they choose to behave, the capacity was pre existent It was there before you even came into the into the realm. And I've talked to many friends about that. And it's about letting people own their own capacities. You know, if you and I went out tonight and we got riff roaring drunk and we took a bunch of drugs, I don't think either one of us would kick a dog. I don't. I think we might do some crazy stuff, but I don't think either one of us would kick a dog. It's just not in me. Are there people who, if you get them drunk and, you know, hopped up on drugs, they'll kick dogs. There are animals, monsters, forget animals, monsters in this world that'll do it without the drugs or alcohol. So my best advice and answer to that is don't make the fact that someone kicked the relational dog about you. You don't have that kind of power. You may have been the opiate or the quote unquote alcohol to provide them, you know, easier access to that capacity. But that capacity was pre-existing. You need to let them own that.
1: Mm. That is very, very powerful. I love this. I have one last question I'm going to squeeze out of you here. And you might have already answered it, to be honest, but if you live to whatever year you want to live, whatever age you hop on as many podcasts, write as many books, so on and so forth, but you could only be remembered for one piece of advice, what would that be?
0: Well, it's uh, I'm going to take it from John Steinbeck, one of my favorite books of all time. Best self-help book I've ever read in my life, East of Eden. Live in a way that your death brings a minimal amount of pleasure to the world.
1: Mm, I love that. That is incredible. This has been incredible. I, again, I'm going to make sure in the show notes, there will be links to the books, socials, websites, all of that fun stuff. But Natasha, thank you again for hopping on here. Truly appreciate it.
0: I really appreciate it. May I ask you one question before we go?
1: Please. Yes, absolutely.
0: How did you find me?
1: Uh, I found you on Amazon.
0: You did? Through
1: the book listing. I did.
0: Oh my gosh. It's such a pleasure. And I absolutely love what you do and what you put out into the world. And I've gotten so much value from your show. I, I watched many episodes prior to being on it. It's really been such a pleasure. Thank you.
1: I appreciate that. You have just listened to episode number 229 here on the Decoding Success Podcast with our friend Natasha Adamo, and I actually want to take this time to restate something that was said earlier in the show. Number one, first and foremost, there is a reason that you are here listening to this today. There is a reason you're still listening to this right now. There is something within this episode that you were meant to hear, and maybe, just maybe, another reason you're here is because you know someone in your life that could benefit from the powerful conversation Natasha and I had today. So again, I am going to urge you to make sure you're sharing this, and I'm not going to tell you how to share it. You could do it in an array of different ways. You could share it on social. You could talk about it in the lunchroom. Talk about it with your friends. Send it in the group text. Send it in an email. Whatever you choose to do, sharing it, being the beacon of light in someone's life that you are close with or maybe not so close with because someone out there needs to hear this, and you now have the power to share it with them. So I'm going to urge you to do that Of course, you can check out Natasha in the show notes of this episode, websites, socials, courses, where you can get her new book. All of that is in the show notes of this episode, so check that out. And lastly, I'm going to give you one last announcement here. I am going to ask you to smash that subscribe button. Hit that subscribe button because each and every week on Wednesday, we put out really freaking powerful conversations just like this one with incredible guests just like Natasha. And we want you to be a part of this ever-growing community for the past three years. We're continuously pumping out this content weekly. Have never missed a week. So we want you to be a part of it. Hit that subscribe button. Share this episode. Check out Natasha. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.